State your name for the record. Jen Urso. Forgery of imperial documents. Possession of stolen property. Aggravated assault. Resisting arrest. On your own from the age of 15. Reckless, aggressive and undisciplined. This is a rebellion, isn't it? I rebel. Welcome to this bonus episode of How Was This Movie? My name is Dana Buckler, and thank you for taking just a little time out of your day to listen. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at How Was This Movie. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash How Was This Movie. You can always email me with questions or comments, and I'm sure I'm going to get some at hitmpodcast at gmail.com. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you use to listen. Now, longtime listeners of How Is This Movie know that I'm a huge Star Wars fan. The topic has come up numerous times throughout the history of this show. I dedicated an entire episode to covering my experience seeing The Phantom Menace on opening night. Longtime listeners are also aware that I try not to see a movie on opening weekend or often not in the theater at all. I have shared many tales of my negative and in some cases downright bizarre experiences going to the movies. Last year, I broke with the norm and saw The Force Awakens on opening day. And putting aside an awkward moment before the movie started, with a woman trying to sit next to me, the rest of the experience was pretty flawless. Now, I've had such issues with going to the theater that until today, I had only seen one film in theaters in all of 2016. That film being the wonderfully delightful Sing Street, which I talked about when I was a guest on the Outstanding Film Review podcast, In Session Film. Now, today, I arrived at the theater at 11.30 a.m. I was somewhat surprised to see an almost empty parking lot. A typical Sunday at this particular theater is usually the busiest day. Nonetheless, I walked up to the box office. Again, no one in line. Keep in mind, this is a 16-screen multiplex and it's practically deserted. Now, since this is the local IMAX, they have reserved seating. So I asked the young lady if it was possible for me to pick my seat. She said no problem and spun a computer monitor around that had a full digital seating chart on it. Where would you like to sit, she asked. My eyes quickly shot to the twosies. Again, for those who don't know, the twosies are the two seats on each side of the main auditorium. I pointed to a set of seats, and I said I'll take both of them. And yes, if you are wondering, I was there by myself. However, given the events of last year's Force Awakens screening, I wasn't taking any chances. No one was going to sit next to me, and I was paying to make sure of it. Now, because this is an IMAX theater, the screen was huge. I selected two seats towards the back of the theater. As I walked into the auditorium, I was literally the first person there. This was much different from last year. Nonetheless, I began looking for my seat. As I walked towards the back of the theater, I was beginning to realize that the number on my ticket wasn't corresponding to the seat numbers I was seeing. Then it hit me. When the lady at the box office showed me the digital seating chart, I read it backwards. What I thought was close to the back was in fact close to the front. And so it begins. I sat in my seat. The bottom part of the screen was slightly cut off by the front rows of seats in front of me. I need to stress... That even though my seat was not ideal, my mood was still good. I was very excited for this film. No question, this was my most anticipated film of the year. The proof of that was the fact that I made the journey to the theater at all. 
Rogue One, a Star Wars story, is the first in a new series of standalone films set in the Star Wars universe. Notice that I said a new series. Because, lest we forget, they made two made-for-TV movies, Ewoks' Caravan of Courage and Ewoks' The Battle for Endor. Both, I might add, are available for free on YouTube. In 2012, when Disney bought Lucasfilm for $4 billion, they wasted no time in mapping out how to recoup their $4 billion, but also how to make sure that investment paid dividends for years to come. Soon after came the announcement that Disney was moving forward with a planned trilogy to follow the events of Return of the Jedi. They hired J.J. Abrams to direct and also co-write the script. For directing the film, Abrams was paid $10 million. He also received an additional $1 million for his writing effort. And I imagine there was a nice incentive-based bonus structure in place if the film hit certain box office milestones. Spoiler alert, it did. I remember clearly seeing the first teaser trailer for The Force Awakens in November of 2014. There was not much to take away from that teaser. A small glimpse of the Millennium Falcon, a new-looking lightsaber, but it was enough for me to make a pledge to myself that I would not watch any of the next trailers and try my best to go into The Force Awakens with as little knowledge as possible. So by December of 2015, the anticipation was at its peak. I walked into an IMAX theater at 9 a.m. the Friday it was released. As the Star Wars logo appeared on the screen, I can honestly tell you that my eyes welled up a bit. Even though I've already talked at length about The Force Awakens in previous episodes, A year later, my feelings for the film haven't changed. I still love it. I love the characters. I love the story, the effects, the music. My God, the music is so damn good. And yes, I do like a lot of the callbacks to the original film, even though that it seems to be the major source of contention for others. The bottom line is, since its release, there's been a backlash against The Force Awakens, as if it's almost cool not to like the movie. I'm not buying into that. I love the original trilogy of films. I am, and I'm surprised to say this, starting to warm up ever so slightly to the prequels. And last night's viewing of The Force Awakens showed me that, yes, I do still indeed love this film. So with all that being said, no reason for all of you to think that my expectations for Rogue One would be any different. I was very excited for this film. I didn't, however, impose a trailer embargo on myself this time around. And that's important to remember for later on in this episode. I think it also needs to be noted that as I walk towards my theater, every other theater... I walked past seven of them were showing Rogue One. When I sat in my seat, there were still 40 minutes before the film was due to start. I contemplated going back to the box office and attempt to switch seats if possible, but no sooner did I make the mental decision to stand up than I realized that all the twosies were now taken. It seems that my favorite place to sit is starting to gain traction with others. Now, I don't think of myself as much of a people watcher these days, except when I'm in the movie theater. I find myself trying to figure out who's going to be trouble. A rowdy group of teens an elderly man who forgot his hearing aid, the young couple who seems it appropriate to bring a newborn into the theater. Don't do that. And in today's case, a couple who I think quite possibly bought every item that was available at the concession stand. And I'm not kidding. A large popcorn, two large sodas, and I count at least six or seven boxes of candies. My God, they must have spent $60 on concessions. As they began to walk my direction up the stairs, I said a little prayer to myself, Lord, please don't let them sit even remotely close to me. As the gentleman took his second step up the stairs, he misjudged where to put his foot and he tumbled and he lost his balance, causing the popcorn to fly out of his hand and land on some poor unsuspecting individuals. The lady with him desperately tried to help him catch his balance and she lost the contents of her hands. The boxes of candy went flying in every direction, with one of them landing right at my feet. I just sat there for a moment taking it all in. When the dust settled, they were only holding their sodas. The gentleman put his drink on the ground, pulled out his smartphone, and turned the flashlight on. 
he began a desperate search for the missing items. All the while, other patrons were oblivious to what had happened were walking all over them. I checked the time. Ten minutes to go. The couple were now arguing with each other. The man said, I know we had a butterfinger. The lady screamed back at him that she didn't think they did. I looked at the box next to my foot. Butterfinger. I reached down, picked it up, stood up, handed it to the lady. Thanks, she replied. I smiled, nodded, didn't say anything, sat back down in my seat. A few minutes later, I watched a family of four walk in. Now, normally, I would have thought nothing of this, except one of the kids had a pair of shoes that lit up. And I don't mean the kind of shoes like back in the day where if you took a step, there'd be a little red LED light that went off. I mean, these shoes were flashing. They were blinking nonstop. I watched the family take a seat in the same row as me. I watched the kid with his rave sneakers sitting three feet away from me. I will admit that I tried to block them out convincing myself that I could get used to it. I sat quietly through the trailers while the lights of Las Vegas continued in my right peripheral vision. I knew the movie was about to start, and I was so preoccupied by flashing sneaker lights and a man with a flashlight scouring the floor convinced that he was going to be able to find his box of peanut M&Ms. The moment the IMAX logo flashed on the screen, I knew that if I didn't say something, I would be doomed to have to deal with this flashing lights throughout the whole movie. I turned to the kid and said, Hey, those are pretty cool shoes, man. The kid looked at me. He looked at his shoes. He said nothing. The father also turned and looked in my direction. I smiled. Do they also turn off? The kid looked at his father. The father whispered something to the kid. The kid started to fumble with his shoes. He must have found a switch or something because the shoes then started to blink in all different patterns. There was even a strobe light setting. The lights started blinking faster and faster. The theater lights went down. Everyone in the audience could see this brilliant flashing light. Someone in the yelled out, what the hell's going on? The kid desperately tried to turn them off. He began to cry. Now the father was out of his seat trying to assist him. The wife spoke up. Just turn them off, she yelled. The father screamed back, I can't. The kid continued to cry louder. Someone in the back yelled, what is going on? Suddenly the father picked up the kid with his shoes blinking in the strobe light setting and ran out of the theater. Ten minutes later, they returned with the kid still in tears and just socks on his feet. As they made it back to their seats, The father looked at me and said, happy now? I looked back and said, yes, why thank you. Let's talk about the actual movie. I'll warn you when I get to spoilers. Normally for an event like Rogue One, I would have tried to avoid reviews, but these days we live in a world where it's hard to avoid such things. Kevin Smith, who is a huge Star Wars fan, tweeted out after attending the world premiere that Rogue One was on the level of Empire Strikes Back. Now that's setting a really high bar. Other comments that I was seeing seemed to confirm this. So naturally, this raised my expectations even higher. As a whole, the movie looked amazing. This may be the first film to really seamlessly blend practical effects and CGI together. In most cases, better than The Force Awakens. My hat does go off to the effects team. Now I saw the film in IMAX, so as you can imagine, the sound design was fantastic. The theater rumbled during some of the more extravagant set pieces. Bravo to all at Skywalker Sound. You did an amazing job. And overall, the characters were well-acted and believable. A year ago, when I left the theater after The Force Awakens, I couldn't wait to see the movie again. And I would go on to see it three more times in the theater, each time thoroughly enjoying the experience. When Rogue One ended, I got up from my seat and began to walk to my car. had an unusual feeling, one that I hadn't felt in a long time. I was clearly having mixed emotions about this film. A car pulled up next to me and I heard a familiar voice yell out, Hey Dana! I turned and see one of my co-workers, Alex, in the back seat. There were three other occupants. Alex asked the question that I knew was coming. What did you think, Dana? Now, that moment, I believe, will go down in history as a turning point for me. 
17 years ago, when I saw The Phantom Menace, I lied to my friends and told them I liked the movie, not willing to concede that my expectations had been ripped apart. I had a split-second decision to make while speaking to Alex. I quickly deflected the question to the girl sitting in the front seat. Well, what did you think? She quickly replied she loved it. Not letting me escape without answering, Alex once again asked, What did you think, Dana? I took a deep breath and said, Well... It was okay. A look of horror went over three of the four in the car, like I just told him the world was ending in an hour. Now, to my surprise, Alex responded by saying, you know what, I agree with you. I took a step back, relieved that I wasn't going to be the only one on the planet to make a comment like that. They drove away. I sat in my car and began to ponder my thoughts. My mind was racing. I was beginning to ask myself questions like, am I getting too old for movies like this? That one I was able to quickly answer, reverting back to the fact that just a year ago, I saw The Force Awakens and fucking loved it. So what is it about Rogue One that didn't connect with me? I've spent the rest of the day trying to figure that out. Now, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert for the rest of this episode. If you haven't seen this yet and plan on it, I don't want to be the one who ruins key parts of the film for you. So you've been warned. Now, the reason why I love The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi is that Lucas continued to advance the narrative of the overall arc of the story. By the time we got to Empire Strikes Back, we knew who the good guys were and we knew who the bad guys were. And we watched in awe as each individual character developed. As a viewer, we had no idea where the story was going to take us, but we were happy to be along for the ride. With The Force Awakens, we entered a world that we knew, but through the course of 30 years had progressed into something that, that we were eager to learn more about. The Force Awakens also advanced the narrative. With Rogue One, we went back in time. And that's where my major flaw with this film happens. I knew that this ragtag group of rebels was going to succeed in their mission. I knew the end game. So for me, the major stakes of the story were missing. There was never a point where I said to myself, boy, I I hope they pull this off. Otherwise, who knows what the Empire is going to be capable of. So all the actors did a fine job. But another issue for me was I didn't know them at all. I didn't feel that they were fully fleshed out. Now, I understand that there were six including the reprogrammed Imperial Droid K2SO main characters. And to try to delve into each one's backstory would have taken too much screen time. Instead, we get a little exposition here and there, and it's hoped that we'll quickly develop a liking to each of them. And the decision to have them killed off by the end of the film was indeed a bold one. But as each one was dispatched in one fashion or the other, I found myself disappointed that they were gone. Not because I was so emotionally attached to them, but rather that I would have liked to have gotten to know them a little bit better. I mean, this is Star Wars, right? I'm sure we could have kept one or two of them around for another adventure, and those surviving one or two would have had a powerful arc going into any other film because we would have known what they had been through. By the time Episode Eight rolls around next year, I'll be all in. I'm anxious to see what happens with Ray, Finn, Poe, Kylo, and of course, little BB-8, who stole the show every time he was on screen. For me, Rogue One didn't have that scene-stealing character. None of the new characters, I think, are going to endure long after this film is out of theaters. The only time I actually heard audience reactions was when there was a callback to Episode 4. Walking out of the theater, if you were to ask me about any of the new characters and their backstory, it would be pretty tough for me to answer that question. Let's talk about K2SO just for a moment here. His character was good and added some levity to an otherwise very, very dreary film but not enough levity for me. Sure, there has been a case for too much slapstick, a la Jar Jar Binks, and certainly not enough, a la Revenge of the Sith. One of the enjoyable things of The Force Awakens was that it was a fun movie, laced with some poignant and serious moments. Rogue One was just serious. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. I can understand 
why many are going to like the shift in this tone. But when you already know the outcome, the seriousness could stand to have one or two lighthearted moments. Again, I am in no way saying this is a bad movie, not in the slightest. It's expertly made, well acted, and the third act is over the top exciting in some parts. I didn't leave the theater saying I hated this film. I didn't hate it at all. The first act does drag on quite a bit when compared to the epic final battle, and there seems to be a trend developing with the film's director, Gareth Edwards. His previous film, Godzilla, was once again an expertly made film with tremendous eye-popping special effects. But like Rogue One, it was somewhat dull in the first two acts before ratcheting up the action to a spectacular crescendo. Throughout the lead-up to this film, the production was faced with some negative publicity. It was announced in June that after the first test screening for Disney executives didn't go so well, they ordered substantial reshoots. Some reports claim that over 40% of the film was to be reshot. Apparently, executives were not happy with the tone of the film. Rumors began to swirl that Gareth Edwards had made a film so bleak and dark that it didn't fit the brand that Disney was trying to push forward. Enter Pulitzer Prize-winning screenwriter Tony Gilroy. Now, Gilroy had a long working relationship with Star Wars producer Kathleen Kennedy and is often brought in to fix struggling movies. He famously took over control of the first Jason Bourne movie from its director Doug Liman and oversaw reshoots and reworking the script. For Rogue One, Gilroy was asked to rework the script and he was also brought in as a second unit director to help Gareth Edwards with the massive amounts of reshoots that were going to happen in a five-week period. It would later be reported that Gilroy was given much more responsibilities than just rewrites and second unit reshoots. And it turns out that Gilroy was also in charge in the editing room and oversaw the final cut of the film. For their part, Disney claimed that Gareth Edwards was in the editing room with Gilroy and the two were working on a, quote, collaborative effort. Now, I can only speculate, but it's also been reported that Gilroy's salary for Rogue One came out to a little over $5 million. And that's a pretty high number for someone who's assisting a production. But I'll let you come to your own conclusions. I will add that numerous scenes in the trailer were not present in the film. And I know this is common, but I've never seen it on this scale before. A few weeks ago, I did an episode entitled Too Much Star Wars, in which I made the case that once a year is too much for any film franchise. And after seeing Rogue One, the first standalone film that, in my opinion, wasn't a standalone film because it meshes with the main arc of the Skywalker saga, I'm beginning to think that I may have been right. Or at least for me, I'm right. I'm all for Disney advancing forward the story, but not adding sideways stories that only add filler to an already great film. This is why my expectations for episode 8, whatever it's going to be called, are still extremely high. However, yesterday I read that production on Disney's next standalone Star Wars film, the young Han Solo film, will begin in February 2017. And I can honestly say for the first time in my life, this is going to be a Star Wars film that honestly I don't care about. In a perfect world, Disney would release a Star Wars film every two years. A new trilogy and perhaps completely new stories with completely new characters that are no way related to the Skywalker saga. That would be pretty awesome. I know that'll never happen, but I still have hope. My name is Dana Buckler and thank you so much for listening.